0: All right. Well, hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles or your devices. We use the ESV version here if you're new and you want to go to Matthew chapter 7. We're finishing up. This is our final week in our Sermon on the Mount series. This is week 13. Um, Gosh, and I, 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 I want to give Liz Klingler some props because this was all her, this was all her design that she kind of set up for us 13 weeks ago on this stage, and she's getting ready to transition to a a, a new design. We're going to be starting Advent next Sunday. We're really excited about that, but I want to give it up for Liz Klingler because, man, she's kind of our artist in residence, and she does all this amazing work, and we care about every aspect of the things that we do in this church, and that's one of the things that she does, and she does it well, and we're just really excited, so thanks, Liz. You are the bomb. Let me officially tell you that from the front here. <laughs> well, while you're getting to Matthew seven, boy, last week was a heavy passage, wasn't it? I mean, there was no screwing around with last week. There was no screwing around with that. It felt like Mockingjay part two out of the Hunger Games, didn't it, man? There's just destruction everywhere after last week. I mean, Jesus just comes in and he reformats everything. Like, everything's crumbling down after last week. He gets us to that darkest place before the dawn, doesn't he? That's what he's doing at the end of his sermon here. He's being really clear about what's at stake here. And the big idea this morning is simply this. Those who hear God's word and obey it will not fall in the end. Those who hear God's word and obey it will not fall in the end. That's the big idea. That's the big idea. That's the anchor for us this morning in this parable out of Matthew that we're going to be reading from. You know, I don't know that anybody that I've ever met likes confrontation. I don't like confrontation. Anybody short of a drill sergeant doesn't really derive any pleasure from confrontation, do we? It's just not really a part of of who we are and what we are drawn towards. Here's what's interesting. When the disciples followed Jesus up that mountain, man, they were confronted. Jesus confronted them with his words. And it wasn't only confrontation. It wasn't just confrontation. Jesus goes all the way to full-blown intervention, doesn't he? That's what Jesus is doing in this sermon. He says, here's what's wrong, and here I am. Here's what's wrong, and here I am. And like all interventions, oh man, his words hurt. And his presence is like a pausing mechanism in our lives. It causes us to stand back and go, I don't know if what I've been thinking about Christ and the cross and Christianity, I don't know if I've been thinking correctly about this. That's what it's been causing us to think and to say. Because... Whenever we're faced with the words of Jesus, we are now faced, after that, with the future. We're faced with the future. But what's great about the words of Jesus is that the same words that hurt are also the same words that are responsible for healing. They're both and. That's what we've been learning about the words of Jesus. And maybe you've just felt unraveled, and maybe you've felt unsettled the past few weeks and months during this series. And let me just raise your unsettledness with an amen and an amen. Let me just raise it in one and say amen for unsettledness. And let the significance of discomfort cause you to pause. I was hearing from some of the community groups last week that, man, there were some discussions ...going on with, man, this road... ...and are we on the narrow, hard path... ...or are we on the broad, easy path... ...and we're trying to figure out... ...and decipher and to understand what that means. Good. Good. Let the significance of that level of discomfort... ...cause you to pause. Don't run from that sick, unsettled feeling in your gut. Ladies and gents, don't do that. The disciples... Had to walk down that mountain forced to deal with what Jesus was saying. They they were forced to have to deal with it. Why do the words of Jesus do that to us? That's the question. Why do they cause that reaction in us? Because when Jesus speaks, it's different than when you speak and then when I speak. It's a different thing. When Jesus speaks, he doesn't say things like, you know, for what it's worth, he doesn't say, you know, this is just my opinion. He doesn't say, here's my advice, take it or leave it. That's what we do. That's how we, uh, that's, how, that's how we throw out information. But here's what's interesting, is that we won't become settled until the unsettledness of our sin is being dealt with. And that's what Jesus has done in this sermon. If you drive around long enough with the check engine light on, man, you are going to begin doubting whether you're going to reach your destination after a while, aren't you? You're going to feel a little unsettled about that. So this morning, we don't want to ignore the red flags that might be flying in our hearts. Because listen, every time Jesus speaks to us in his word, again, what are we faced with? We are faced with the future every time he speaks his words. To hear and do, or to hear and don't. That's what we're faced with when we hear the words of Jesus. To hear and do, or to hear and don't. Trade it out, follow a different path, go a different way, follow your heart. That's what we're faced with. To hear and do means we're on a hard, narrow path, like we talked about last week. That hard and that narrow and that brutal path that leads to life. But to hear and don't means to choose the wide, the easy, the breezy, the broad path that Jesus tells us leads to death. Now look, I'm not the brightest guy in this warehouse. You guys should all know that by now. But I get that. I get the meaning of that, right? So this morning will be that simple and profound. Okay? Hear and do or hear and don't. That's what it is. So my first ever community group leader was this super funny, super sarcastic dude from Kenya named Kimani got here. And I'm st- I still don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. I've known him, you know, 12 years now. But this is a guy that had a great, great influence in my life. I think it was the second or third time we had met at the community group. And he made the comment. and he said, dude, I think... I think you're going to be a pastor someday. It's my opinion. He you know, wasn't being prophetic. You know, we don't like to steer too far into that one. You know, uh, you know, he wasn't giving me a word from the Lord. He was just saying, I think based on kind of the vibe I'm getting from who you are, I think you're going to be a pastor someday, Big R, is what he said. To which I replied, A what? You know, as, as Kimani was sitting there with that, I was, had that dumbfounded look on my face. But every week after we got to the end of our discussion, this is what Kimani would do. And this is what stuck ...with me as I became a student of the word. He would ask this question. He would say, so what? He would say, so what? He would say, why does this matter? All these things we've been studying. He said, what does this mean for us? What good are these words, he would say. He was asking the question we will ask... ...when we're confronted with God's word. And what this does is it falls in line with one of the lines I hurled at you guys in the beginning was this, that Jesus is not saying all of this. Uh, Jesus is not saying this is how you live to be saved. He's not saying all this so that you can just get to work and earn your salvation. He's saying, no, 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 no. This is how saved people live. We're on the other end of this spectrum now. You've been saved by the blood of Christ. All of these instructions, all these commandments I'm giving you. This is how saved people now live. And the reason why it's important for us to distinguish this point is because we have a default setting, man. All of you have this default setting. I have this default setting. And it's this setting that believes working harder is what works. Roll up your sleeves. Hit the pavement. Earn your keep. Affirm your identity, man. Thump your chest. As the hard-working guy or gal. Jesus literally says, wrong He says, trying to earn your righteousness by being a good little girl or a good little boy and keeping all the rules is lawlessness and disobedience. Mike dropped. That's what, he, that's what he does. That's where he goes with that. I mean, the words of Jesus as we've been reading these, I don't know how they've been striking you. But these words are insane. The things that he's telling us. I mean, there wasn't anybody in the audience who wasn't shocked at some of the things that Jesus was saying. Remember, Jesus took what the people knew at the time, 2,000 years ago. These were people who were versed in the Jewish Old Testament law and told them, Hey, you know what? You've been misinterpreting this. Here's the true meaning of the law. It wasn't about simply doing what was right. It was about being right with God so that actions would follow from this heart change. And so like an intervention, man, we wrestle with that. Man, we're offended by that. Some of you guys were probably offended by that crazy passage last week. You know, we become in denial of that. You know, we sort of push it off to the side. Or we try to reinterpret what it really means. Well, I think what he's really saying is this and this and this. Well, not so much. But hope cannot be built on anything less than truth. Hope cannot be built on anything less than truth. We just sang about it. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's a cute rhyme, but it's true. So now we get to the end of the sermon where Jesus finishes with a pretty well-known parable that's probably been hijacked by Sunday schools to soften the seriousness of it. And so one of the dangers we face as the church is when we try to declaw the hard truths of the Bible because we're afraid that they might hurt. And the reason why that's dangerous is because it's almost like when you start altering your meds. You know, the the doctor gives you a certain dosage to take of your meds, and you say, you know, I'm just going to take five more today. And maybe have some alcohol with that. Probably not a good idea to start taking those decisions into your own hands. It means that something is going to get you off the track that you were tended to be on by the meds that were prescribed for you. You can only go so far with that analogy with what we're talking about. But Jesus is wanting us to understand the truth in exactly the way that he is communicating it to us. Amen? So this morning we're going to hear a description of the ruin that awaits those who don't put the words of Jesus into practice. For those who are getting to walk down the mountain and say, yeah, that was good, so what are we doing for lunch? Right? Martin Luther said this, the doctrine is good and a precious thing, but it is not being preached for the sake of being heard. It's being preached for the sake of action And it's application to life. So let me encourage and plead with you for, number one, uh, you know, suffering through the longest intro of any sermon you've ever sat through. And number two, to not treat these last 13 weeks like the way I treat the dentist when he tells me to start flossing. Look, I believe, I believe it will prevent cavities and tooth decay. But when I leave that office, I have absolutely no intention of actually following through. (laughs) Zero, zero, like all of you. The people that walked down the mountain were not meant to be the same. It was not meant that the words of Jesus would not change them. i read you this quote by Tim Keller. He says, it's impossible to meet the real Jesus and leave indifferent. It's impossible because his words have power for us. So I gave you a lot, but let's keep some of those things in mind. I wanted to set this up a little bit longer so we can dive into the text and have some context for it. So let's pick up the end of our time in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 24, Matthew 7. It says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it didn't Fall, ...because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them... ...will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew... ...and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So as we unpack this parable, what we want to do is we want to think of... two general contractors, all right, who both knew how to construct homes... Right, so these are two guys, they have blueprints drawn up, they have them approved, they hire a crew, they lay down a slab, they do the framing, they put in the electrical, the drywall, the flooring, paint it, boom, the house is up, it's ready to go. I know I skipped like 400 steps for all you construction guys out there that are like already angry at me, but um, that's what they did, two guys that had the blueprints, they built the house, they knew how to build the house. Jesus never calls into question here the ability of each of the men in what they had as home builders. That's not what Jesus is calling into question. They both had the knowledge and the skill required to complete the home building process. All right. He doesn't go after that we can assume that these were homes that were structurally sound. All right? The other thing that we learn is that they both chose the same neighborhood. Because when the weather goes south for them, they're both caught in the same storm. The distinction that Jesus is making here is not location, but it's foundation. And the parallels that he draws between the two men who were general contractors, they're both just strikingly Similar, We can draw a lot of inferences from both. They were both doing the same things. They both built the house. They both built something that was structurally sound. They both heard what Jesus said. They both heard his words. But only one, only one listened. And the one who listened built according to the blueprints that Jesus had given them and was saved... When the weather went south. The Bible talks a lot about this in other places. It talks a lot about wise and foolish men and women. And this is essentially what Jesus is always driving at. Foolish men ignore wise words. Foolish men ignore wise words. But wise men ignore the foolishness of ignorance. Which is hearing but not doing. Kind of like what we talked about at the beginning. And we remember Jesus told the parable later on in Matthew, the parable of the foolish virgins. There was five who had oil in their lamps so that when the bridegroom came, they would have light enough to see that he was coming. And the foolish ones were just neglectful. They didn't bring enough oil with them. So when the bridegroom came, man, it was dark and they didn't know he was coming and they had fallen asleep. They had been neglectful. They had not listened to the words that were given them. They were hearers But they were not doers. They had no oil for their lamps when the bridegroom came. Foolishness is not being prepared for the future. That's what foolishness is. In fact, the world's wisest fool, a guy that we uh, like to call Solomon because that was his name, he said this in Proverbs. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But then he says this, fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's what the world's wisest fool said, King Solomon. Here's the irony. Both men chose a foundation. Both men chose a foundation. If you go to the book of Luke in chapter 6, it tells a parallel story. It says the wise man dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. But then it says the man who chose the beachfront property built on the sound, he was building on a ground without a foundation. Again, it's not that he didn't choose a foundation. He did. He did choose a foundation. But he spent more time on the facade. The outside. The stuff that really, really he thought was going to help him live a little bit better and a little bit nicer and a little bit finer. So let's establish what the text says about us. And it's this. We are all building On a foundation. All of us are building on a foundation. It's not the question of whether you actually have a foundation. The question is, what is the foundation? Because you are all constructing something right now on something else. And the question, the question that Jesus consistently and graciously and mercifully drives home is, what is the outcome going to be based on your foundation? Because outcome... In the providence of God is everything for us. Outcome is everything. Outcome. So I want to take some time and I want to bring out five what I consider to be crucial truths that this parable provides for us. Five important truths that I want us to mine and just pull out of so that we hopefully have some jewels to take with us as we walk Um, away from this sermon for this particular time. Five truths. The first one is this, number one. Hearing isn't enough. Hearing isn't enough. The fool heard the words, but he didn't keep them. He heard, but he didn't keep the words. If you want to turn with me to James chapter one. James chapter one. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes these words. And being the brother of Jesus, he would have known that Jesus affirmed these words, which is why he wrote these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And James said this, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently... At his natural face in a mirror. So this is a guy that looks at his face in the mirror. He knows what he looks like, right? It's a good mirror. He gets a clear view and a picture of what he looks like. Verse 24, for he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I mean, I'd I'd like to forget what I look like half the time. But the trouble is when I look in a mirror and I'm just kind of doing that thing like, oh boy, you have the whole day in front of you with that mug. um, I tend to remember what I look like when I head out the door. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. And then it says in verse 25, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we're talking about a doer that acts. Because hearing isn't enough. Being in church is not the same thing as being the church. And living out your identity as someone who is becoming more like Jesus. Again, Jesus was not defining these dudes as house builders. He gives them the identity as either hearers or doers. You hear and do, or you hear and you don't. So, our first truth is that hearing isn't enough. Number two, storms will come. The rain, the floods, the wind. What does it say there? It hit both houses. Regardless of the foundation, that rain, that flood, those storms, the wind, man, it crushed, it hit, it prevailed against both houses. It's a storm. It's not, you know, sometimes you have a rainy day, so make sure you have a good raincoat in the closet. It's not, you know, raindrops keep falling on my head. It's it's not that. He's saying, dude... There is a rain of judgment coming down on you in the end. These are destructive floods that will drown and immerse you. These are winds that will beat against you so hard that there will be nothing in you even remotely strong enough to withstand. He's talking about the ultimate outcome for our lives if our foundation is built on anything less. Does your life feel that way now for some of you? Maybe your life already feels that way. It feels like, man, I got a storm that is just beating against my life. Well, maybe God is warning you about a future that you won't be able to write off as just being a hard season in the end. Maybe it's a warning for a future. an inevitable future that lies in wait for somebody that has built the wrong foundation. Those are hard words. Those are really hard words. So hearing isn't enough. Storms will come, number three. There is no third foundation. There is no third foundation. The sand, the dude that built on the beachfront property, all right, all right, The second guy, just making sure you guys are tracking and following with me, because you're uber quiet today. The dude with the sand, the guy building on the sand. All right? The sand, listen to what I'm saying. The sand was fine until the storm. The sand was beautiful. It was wavy. It was white. There was no rocks in it. The sand was fine until the storm came. Beachfront property is great, Until the waves decide they don't want to behave anymore. All right? And there's not time at that point to run to Home Depot and mix in some concrete to firm up the foundation. And if there was, if there was, if you think you can compromise, a compromised foundation is just that. It eventually weakens. There's one foundation that will support that Jesus is telling us. Because security is just an illusion. It's an illusion for those who don't live out the words of Jesus and have a foundation securely rested in him. There is no third foundation. You hear and you do, or you hear and you don't. Four, this is what's interesting. You can predict your outcome. Isn't that amazing? You can predict your outcome. All the stuff that we wonder and we're just constantly, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. And you know, I, don't know where, I don't know where this left turn is going to take me, or this right turn is going to take me. I don't know where this job is going to take me. I don't know where this marriage is going to take me. I don't know where this move is going to take me. Jesus gets really simple here when he talks about final things in our lives. When he talks about directional things in our lives. And he's saying you can predict your outcome. I mean, the words of Jesus are not like the combo menu at Wendy's, right? We don't have all of these myriad and multitude of ways and avenues to take. There's a healthy and an unhealthy option, period. Jesus had one job. And he completed it fully so that we could be fully complete. When we hear and obey When we hear these words and we do them and we obey, we have the assurance of a fixed outcome. I mean, if you thought, if you believed that, if you thought everything was going to be all right someday, wouldn't you be hopeful? If you believed that truth, wouldn't you be hopeful? That if you. hear and obey, you have the assurance of a fixed outcome. Well, it's true. That's what Jesus says. But we're forgetful, aren't we? And then number five, there is only one safe ground. There is only one safe ground. Remember Noah? I'm not talking about the Russell Crowe gig from like two years ago. Remember Noah, the real story of Noah? The reign of judgment comes against the world but there's only one structure that was going to make it all right you guys remember the story about the flood you guys are so quiet dudes in high-rise condos dudes in yachts dudes hiding in bank vaults dudes wearing scuba gear they were goners Because at some point there was only one foundation in all the world and it was a boat built by Noah with blueprints from God. There was one foundation. And here's something for us to consider. Because here's what it doesn't say. When we think about safe ground and we think about storms and we think about things coming at us, it doesn't say the house didn't suffer any damage, does it? It doesn't say the houses didn't suffer any damage. It says the one that stood standing, stood standing. It doesn't say some of the windows weren't broken in. It doesn't say that some of the siding didn't peel off. That's not what it says. It said the structure was unmoved because the foundation made it immovable. There's only one safe ground for us. The question is, are you on that safe ground? We get a warning from Paul in 1 Corinthians. He says, if you think you are standing, if you think you're standing, watch that you don't fall. And so Jesus just leaves it here for us. He gives us two contrasts. He gives us two examples. It's not a cliffhanger. He distills it all down. And what we're given in the written word, that's all he said. That's the end of what he said in his sermon. And then we pick up in verse 28, and it says this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So what's happening here is Jesus wasn't teaching on tradition or from tradition, but from scripture and from tradition, but with his own authority. Jesus, all through his sermon, says, I said this. It's been said, and then he says, but I say. It's been said, I say. And it says the crowds were astonished at that level of authority. So do Jesus' words, they cause the same reaction in you? I mean, who are we impressed with these days? Who are you impressed with? Your own words? I mean, I kind of am sometimes until I hear a recording and I go, oh my gosh, you need to stop being impressed with those words, big R. Who are you impressed with? What words impress you? What words make an impression on you in terms of how you think and how you live? Politicians? Because nobody should doubt their authority, right? Jesus has final authority because he's the original author. He's the inventor of words. He's the word who became flesh. I want to follow that guy. That's the guy I want to follow back down the mountain. I want to follow the guy who wrote the book. Because here's the thing with me, all right? I can build the house, but I will choose the wrong foundation Every time I let myself choose. Because I want that beachfront property, man. I want that beachfront property because the sunshine feels warm and the waves are pretty. Until the sky goes dark and the waves attack. But I want it until that happens. I want that beachfront property. But here's what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. We're not talking about any second opinions, are we? There is no second opinion when Jesus speaks. There's no second opinion. We're faced to confront his words that are intervening in our hearts. And they feel like hard words, but they're actually gracious words. They're actually merciful words. And we have options, though, don't we? We do have options with Jesus' words. We don't have options with the principles that he's giving us and instructing us with, but we have options in the way that we respond. Here's our options, okay? You ready? We can reject it. We can redefine it. Or we can receive it. We can just all out just walk out of here and go, "Uh uh-uh. Like, I'm out. I mean, this does not work for me. This does not work for me in my season of life. Wherever I find myself, man, this is not something that I'm going to be able to live out. I don't care what the consequences are. I'm going to keep my foundation as is. I'm going to reject this. Now, some of you guys are saying, like, well, man, I'm not, I mean, I don't... I mean, I know my foundation isn't, like, super solid, but, like, I don't feel like I'm rejecting this either. Like, I, I don't feel, like, angry like you look right now, Ronnie. I don't feel like I'm just, you know, throwing the whole thing out. Well, maybe you redefine it then. Maybe you walk away and you take the words and you go, you know, I think I can, you know, I got some sand, but then, you know, I can sort of bring some bricks and I can bring some mortar over here and I can like, I can create a, you know, I don't, I don't have to go all the way over to the rocky foundation, do I? That's insanity. What are you asking me to do, Jesus? You know, I want to work with what I have here, right? I mean, I got a wheelhouse. I got to work in my wheelhouse. So you redefine it. And you still have a sandy foundation. And then there are those who receive it. Who say, Lord, I know. I know I have a shaky and a sandy foundation. I know when I hear your words, I more often don't do them than do them. I know that the first response in my heart is not obedience. I see that, and you know, Lord, I want that to change. Because that crushes me. That crushes me. And those are the people who hear and do. As opposed to those who hear and reject and redefine. So there's three ways, but there's still only two. But that middle one, that redefining thing, oh, man. That's us, isn't it? That's us. Because we're people that are going to get real cocky about saying we don't reject things. Yeah, we redefine things. You know what I love about Jesus and his words? I love how raw and uncluttered and stripped down and simple and pure they are. I love that about the Christian faith. I love how it takes away all the junk that we hoard in our hearts and it clears it away. I love how cleansing Jesus is. I love how the cross, it just cuts to the heart. Body broken, blood shed, debt paid, life gained, joy attained. The gospel Those who love Jesus are going to listen to Jesus because they know they're loved by Jesus and they can live a life devoted to Him. Because all of our trouble, man, it just comes from hearing and not doing. C.S. Lewis said, How little they know of Christianity that the story ends with conversion. Man, it's not just coming to Christ. It's not just being saved. It's about how to live after we've been saved. It doesn't end with conversion. But it has to start with conversion. Every week, every week it's substance, right? Man, we just want to point you to the hope that is found in Jesus. And look at me. I mean, I know you're looking at me. That was rhetorical. But look at me. I mean, I got nothing. I have no power. I have no power other than to present you the power of Christ. Truthfully. Without any fluff. Oh, are you just tired of fluff in your lives? I mean, are you tired of that? Like, I want this rocky, solid, heavy, hard truth. Because everything else in my life is like a battering ram trying to break it all up. I want something that can't be broken. I don't want cotton candy. I don't want sandy beaches. Except that I do want those things. And there's the rub. But what a work that the Holy Spirit will do in our hearts. Because here's the truth. The words of Jesus can astonish you. But ultimately, they have to admonish you. The disciples that were walking down that mountain, it wasn't enough for them to simply be astonished. Those words needed to do something more than astonish. They needed to admonish. They needed to bring them back to repentance so that they could have the joy that comes with living a life in joyful obedience to him. And this, friends, is what it means to be salt and light. This is what it means to be salt and light in our community. Living in joyful obedience to the one that suffered for the joy that was set before him on the cross. So we bear fruit in keeping with that admonishment, that repentance. Like it says in Matthew 3. This is what we've been driving at. We go back down the mountain changed. We hear now and we do Instead of hearing and don't. We're not the same. We're ready now to become brighter reflectors of Jesus. The next week we'll start Advent. And we're going to explore how God brought this light to us. I'm excited for that. I hope you join us. Let's pray together. Lord, we oftentimes complicate things because of our disobedience. And we receive very direct, very plain, very sharp, but loving words from you. And we start reconstructing them in our minds and in our hearts. Our first inclination is to take what you say and start editing. But you've given us very clear very gracious and merciful instruction here. Lord. we want to be like the wise man who built his house on the sure foundation, who dug deep until he found that foundation. Because we know that things are going to come in this life of which we have no power and no control over. And Lord, we also know that the only way we're not going to fall in this life and in the next one is by having you, Christ, as our solid foundation. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't reject this. I pray that we would do serious, serious reflection on what you've spoken to us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts so that we could build our foundations on that solid rock of Christ. Lord, so many times we, we discount your words we sit under your teaching and we walk away letting our minds snap back to things that don't produce life in us. Lord, make us mindful of that. Help us to come to you, taking stock of those areas and places in our lives of which we need to repent. Because Lord, you've given us the joy of the Lord as the ultimate source of strength in our life. Lord, show us that so that we can live that truth out, so that we can be salt and light in this community, Lord, so that people would see us, they would hear from us, and they would become hearers and doers in the same way that you have changed us, brought us so clearly from death to life. So we rejoice in that. We thank you for it. And we pray that you would make it ever truer in our lives as we walk out today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.